Welcome to Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm your host, author Liz Tolsma. It is so good to have you with us today because we have a debut author with us. She is new to the industry, new to the show, and I got to know her through a writer's group that I belong to, and I had to have her on. I'm so glad that the time has finally come, that her book is releasing, and I'm able to have her on the show and for her to share her book with you today. Before we get started, number one, subscribe on whatever your favorite podcasting platform is if you haven't done that already because you don't want to miss out on some of the fabulous guests that we have coming up and finding new authors like this one. That's part of the fun of Christian Historical Fiction Talk, both for me because I get to discover new authors and read their work and keep up with who is happening and coming up in the industry, and also for you because you get to have new favorite authors and books to look forward to. Second of all, kind of in the same vein, please find Christian Historical Fiction Talk on social media, whatever your favorite social media platform is. We are probably there, so check us out there. I hope that you join our community there and we get to know each other a little bit better over there. And I also post over there when new episodes release, so that's another great way to find out when episodes release. And third of all, if you would like to find out more about this author, about her book, or to get a handy link in order to order the book for yourself or friend, then please go to my website, which is liztolsma.com, and all that information is right there in the show notes. Really handy for you, so please check that out as well. So that takes us to the end of the announcements. You know, I like to get those out of the way so we can dive into the interview, and I am so pleased to have Crystal Cottle with us today. As I said, she is a new author, up and coming. She's making a splash in the industry. I have not read the full book yet, but I have gotten into it. Absolutely love it. From what I read, she is fantastic. She's going to be around for a while. I can guarantee you that much. And she is going to be one that you're going to want to be sure to check out. And I know you're going to love it as much as I am enjoying reading her book as well. The book is called Counterfeit Love. So she's going to tell us a little bit more about herself and a little bit more about the book. So please join me in welcoming to the show today, Crystal Cottle. Welcome to the show, Crystal. It is so good to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I first met Crystal when she came and spoke to our local American Christian Fiction Writers group. And then I found out that she had this book coming out in March, and it just sounded so fabulous. I knew she had to come onto the podcast. And so it's so thrilling for me to sit down and talk to you one-on-one and talk more about your book and find out more about you and your writing process and everything. So we're so glad that you could make it today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I was very flattered and very honored. So, Since you are sort of new to the publishing world, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? All right. So I am Crystal Cottle. I am a mother of two teenage boys. They're both teenagers now, 16, almost 17, and then a 13-year-old. 
I'm also a caregiver to my mother-in-law and wife of a wonderful husband who just anything romantic you find in my stories comes from him because I'm actually not romantic, but he is the best. And I was a teacher, elementary school teacher for five years before God called me home to take care of all our, our family needs. There's a lot of family needs here, a lot of chaos, but I've been writing since I was a kid and God kind of pushed me into the publishing world. It wasn't something I chose for myself, but I am happy to be obedient to him. Well, that's great. You do have a busy life with everything going on. And I know the listeners can't see you, but you do not look like you have a 16, almost 17 year old boy. Well, thank you. For sure. <laughs> I, I won't lie. We started young. So. Okay. All right. But still, even still. So you're getting all prepared for the, oh, maybe he has his driver's license already and everything. So you're He has his smart. permit. He is not very thrilled about driving. So it's like pulling teeth to get him to do it. And I need him to drive by May because we don't have bus service to their schools. So we drive them back and forth. But I'm going to the Fiction Readers Summit, Fiction Readers Summit in May. And I would like for him to take his brother to school. So Travis doesn't have to leave work to be able to transport them. Yeah, that's the funny thing. My son was the same way. We really had to push him and say, hey, it's time for you to get your driver's license. Whereas my daughter, the minute she turned 16, she was down at the DMV to get her license. I'm not kidding you. That <laughs> that day or the next day, she was there to get her license. So it's so you would think it would be the opposite, that it would be the boys ready to get in their cars, you know, but not the case. I, I don't know if it's going to be the same for the other boy, but it's definitely been a lot harder than I thought it would be. Welcome to teenagerhood. <laughs> it is a ride. And he actually will have it his is. senior year next year. And that's blowing me away. So your book coming out in March, like I said, is called Counterfeit Love, which First of all, I love the title. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But why don't you tell us a little bit about the book? So this uh, it's actually the first book in a series of three, Hidden Hearts of the Gilded Age. And it follows three secret servicemen. Back in the 1880s, the Secret Service focused on hunting counterfeiters. They didn't actually start protecting the present until the 1890s and later. So this book actually focuses on Secret Service operative Broderick Cosgrove as he is infiltrating a really notorious counterfeiting gang. Unfortunately, he discovers through his work that his former fiance's family is involved and it looks like she may also be involved in the counterfeiting ring. So he has to investigate her and then prove her innocence when she is innocent and no one else believes it. So there's a lot of mayhem that happens. And I, I love mayhem. So, <laughs> What gave you the idea? What sparked the story idea for the book? So I'm always, I've always been a history person. I love, 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 love history. And I came across a series of newspaper articles written by former Secret Service operatives that described various cases. And I fell in love with it. And then I found out that several of the cases took place in Cincinnati, which is across the river from me. Like I'm literally 20 minutes from downtown. And I grew up 
50 miles south of here. And so when we moved up here, it was an opportunity for me to research the area I'm at and pull in a part of history that isn't well known because I didn't know the Secret Service main job for the first like 30 to 40 years of their existence was counterfeiting. It's so cool. You do like mayhem, don't you? Oh, I do <laughs> so much. I did have a question here because your tagline is history, danger, love, hope. And I was going to ask you which of those is your favorite aspect to write, but apparently it's mayhem. Yes. Um, what draws you to the mayhem? Why do you like that so much? So a lot of it comes out of, I had a good childhood, but it had a lot of different challenges to it. And so I wrote and read to escape. And the bigger the problem, the more likely I felt that I could survive whatever was going on at home. And so that's kind of just built into who I am and how I cope with life. And we have a lot of chaos at home. So it's very fun to throw other people into chaos and see them survive. So I know I can too. That's great. You also really like the history aspect. Yeah, I am a huge history nerd. I'm sitting in my downstairs library and straight across from me, I have probably three or 400 research books spanning from American Revolution all the way up to the current times. So definitely history. Okay. <laughs> I, I will bow down to you as the true history nerd in this conversation. <laughs> I thought I was bad with all my books, but you far and above outweigh me. Well, I've had a long time collecting them and library sales are the best thing in the world definitely have to hit those up because then you can get them nice and cheap, I'm assuming. I couldn't afford yeah. this many books without it. Does your husband ever say some of this has to go? He's also a book nerd. So um, <laughs> so that's just our history section. And he's also a history nerd. He has a bachelor's in history. And we also have a very large Christian nonfiction section, and that's pretty much all him. So together we own probably a thousand books. Oh, well, well at least it's a match made in heaven. You yes. know, you both have the same passion and that helps a lot. It does. It does not help the space in our house, but it, it does help <laughs> to get along. Well, books are the best companions in my estimation. So counterfeit love is set during the Gilded Age. Mm -hmm. And I could probably sit here and tick off half a dozen books that I've read in the past year or so that are set during the Gilded Age. Why do you think the Gilded Age is so hot right now? It's almost, it depends on which side of the Gilded Age you come at it from. A lot of the Gilded Age stories can feel like that modern day princess story, not modern day because it's 1880s, but it's the American royalty. You kind of get that rich side of life that everyone likes to fantasize about and enjoy. I actually like to come at it from like the middle to lower class because there was such a wide gap between the rich and what everyone else lived. And actually, I don't know how well this is known, but right now we're called 
the period we're living in right now is being called the second Gilded Age. So I feel like a lot of people are seeing those similarities and looking towards fiction to kind of process what we're all going through now. Yeah. Even Julian Fellows, who wrote Downton Abbey, has a new show out. It might even be called The Gilded Age, right? It is. I think so. Yes. My son has HBO Max, and he's like, Mom, Mom, have you watched The Gilded Age yet? Yeah. In my spare time, I'll do that. Right. (laughs) Who has time for that? I will have to check that out, though. It is on my list, for sure. That should be really good. And I think you're right. It's just... Like you said, the American royalty aspect of it, the popularity of of all the costume dramas and everything, I think, Mm -hmm. are feeding into that as well. And there's so many who write the Gilded Age and who do it really well. And you are among them. I have read part of the book and have loved it and can't wait until it comes out on the 15th so I can get my hands on the whole thing. Well, thank you. I'm really looking forward to that. Really blessed by that. Thank you. So you have a whole cast of characters in this book. Which one? All right. So yeah, I do this a lot to the authors. To almost every author who comes on this podcast, I ask a question that's really not very fair to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Who's your favorite character in this book? Oh, that's so hard. They each have their own special qualities, but I really love Teresa, who's the heroine, because she is very much a combination of spirited, independent woman and impulsive child. She just, I love her heart, and she just gets into so much trouble. And so I suppose that's why you like her, because she's just yeah mayhem, huh? <laughs> yeah, just the, the mayhem and just... Her heart is really in the right place. She's extremely loyal to a man that most people don't understand why she's loyal to him. I think that kind of stems out of my own loyal heart. There's been challenging people in my life that I will love and champion for as long as I absolutely can. And that's that's kind of where she comes from, too. She understands that side that other people don't see. How do you go about creating your characters? I start out with an idea and then I go to like the personality tests and just kind of look at the different kind of personalities and I go, oh, I think they'll fit this and I'll do some different character interviews. But once the story actually starts writing, they take over and become their own personalities and generally toss out all the work I did beforehand. So it's kind of floundering about. (laughs) Do you like that when they do that, when they sort of go off script? Or would you really prefer if they stuck to what you wrote them, sketched them out to be ahead of time? I kind of adore it when they take on their own personality. Because then I know that they're really who they were meant to be. When they dictate to me, which they do so much, of the plot, it makes the story exciting for me. Because I don't know where it's going until they tell me where it's going. Even if I make the best laid plans, it just doesn't, I love their, their will and their, their development on their own. Because this is your first book, I'm assuming you got the call at some point that you were finally going to be published. Tell us a little bit about what that was like. How did that go down? Um, It was actually really 
cool. Whenever we have big things in our family, we celebrate by going out to dinner and just kind of doing that. Well, the same day I got my call, we were at Texas Roadhouse with my husband celebrating his bachelor's degree. There was a long road with that, but he was finally able to get it. And we finally were able to celebrate. And in the middle of that dinner, I got the call. And so he has a picture of me grinning like a fool as Tamala Hancock Murray, my agent, was telling me. And of course, you're in a restaurant, so you can't scream. And <laughs> so <laughs> we all made it outside and then we're all dancing around the car. So <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was nice to get to celebrate with my husband, his big accomplishment at the same time that came in. So that's really cool. Wow. Two big celebrations, two big milestones in your lives at the same time. How cool. It was really cool. So on March 15th, then, are you going to be going back to Texas Roadhouse to celebrate the release? I haven't decided what we're going to do. Texas Roadhouse isn't my favorite. I enjoy it. But we have a local Italian restaurant called Pompilio's. And have the best eggplant parmesan. So that's probably where I will pick. Maybe. I don't know. But there will be some kind of celebration on release day, I think. Probably not on release day because it's a weekday and the kids have all their activities and stuff. So it'll get pushed off to the weekend, but we will celebrate. How did I I love counterfeit love? I just I love that title. Where did that come from? I thought I was just being really cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> the the title is actually mine that I've had from the very beginning, which is rare, but I just, I kind of put the whole idea of counterfeiting and of course it's a romance, but the fact that we can convince ourselves that something's love when it's not. And so it's kind of got that double meaning of, yeah, it's a story about counterfeiting, but it's also that story about learning what real love is and making the choice to choose the right kind of love, even if it's going to require difficulties. Because love is not easy. No, no, it's not. So that's the theme of the book. That's what you hope your readers will take away from it. Uh, for the most part, one of the big themes is this concept of even if, as far as like the spiritual theme, no matter what you face, even if everything's stripped away from you, you can trust God, you can move through and trust him with your future. Throughout the story, Broderick and Teresa, they were former fiancés. They used to be together. There was this event that split them apart and that they have to overcome throughout the course of the story. They go through this whole process of trying to overcome, but they have to face the question of even if they don't end up getting married, even if they don't have their dreams that they really, really wanted they can still trust God with their futures. And that's really the central thing is even if no matter what you face, you can trust him. That's beautiful. And so true. Something that we all need to be reminded of from time to time, because we all hit that valley at some point in our lives where it feels like we have nothing left. But even if we get to that point, we still have God. Love that. Now it really makes me want to finish this book and get even further into it. I read on your website that you and your husband and sons love to play board games. 
And I have to admit, I love a good board game myself. What is your favorite one? We have like half a dozen that we play on a regular basis. It's hard to pick one. We've done a lot of variations of Settlers of Catan. We've done some Ticket to Ride recently. We love Shanghai Rummy as far as card games go. We just love trying a whole bunch of different games. So it's really hard to pick one. We have a cabinet, two cabinetfuls of games. So I love your family. I'm just going to have to come and visit you and see all your books and play all your games with you. <laughs> You're more than welcome to. If you ever want to come to the Creation Museum or the Ark Museum, we are halfway between the two and we have a guest room. Perfect. I'll be there. <laughs> I also saw on your website that you have an around the world reading challenge that sounded so interesting to me. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about that? So I got tired of book challenges not interesting me. So I decided to run my own. So the around the world reading challenge is a challenge I created for historical fiction lovers in general, but there's so many places in the world that there's not some historical fiction books that I expanded it to whatever time period you want or can find a book in it. But I thought it would be really neat to travel the world while we're all stuck at home with all these different travel restrictions. Even if things are opening up, it's just not easy. And to get a taste of the world through reading. And each month I give suggestions for books that fit whatever that month's challenge is. And then the last day of the month, I give a review of the book I've read. And then I have a pile of giveaway books, basically. And those who comment on what they read and fulfilled for the challenge get to be entered into a chance to pick out one of the books from my shelf. And so it's just a fun way to interact. And you don't have to participate every single month. I come from the philosophy that life happens. So I, I'm all for participating whatever month you can. And each month you participate, you also get a chance to enter for an end of the year grand prize. And I can't remember what I put it down as, but I know my book will be one of them. And I think I have a Bible study that actually... I did that I love that just mirrors it so well that I put with it too. Sounds like so much fun reading books from all around the world and different countries. And I love that idea. I may pop in on that at some point or another myself. You told me before we started the interview that you just turned in developmental edits. So that means that there is something else coming up. What is it? Can you tell us a few details? So it's book two of the series and you meet Andrew Darlington in book one and he's a little bit of a jerk face. I won't lie. I was really, really nervous about writing his story because I asked God, why do you want me to take the least liked character in book one and make them <laughs> make him the hero of book two? <laughs> but that's what God had me do. And I have to say, I really, really, really like his story. And the love interest in that story has her own challenging background that just really makes them a good fit for each other, even though they both struggle. I don't want to give away what his secret is yet. I want people to be able to read book one before sure. they reach that. Sure, sure. 
And is that coming out like a, a year from now or so? I know the copyright date said 2023. I don't have an actual release date yet. So, okay. But I do know its title and it is Counterfeit Hope. Oh, okay. Going with theme. I like that. Very good. We'll be looking forward to that once we finish with Counterfeit Love. If listeners would like to connect with you, where can they go to connect with you? The best place is my website, crystalcoddle.com. And Crystal's just spelled the normal way. That's probably the best place you can find all the different ways to hook up with me. There's Goodreads and BookBub. Those are great ways to also connect with me. Facebook, I'm on a lot, but Facebook is also finicky. So I say that with a grain of salt. Right. <laughs> Come hang out with me in Facebook, but I understand if you can't find me because <laughs> Facebook's a mess. Do you have any last words you'd like to share with the listeners? Thank you so much for listening to me here today. I pray that if you do read Counterfeit Love, that you will be entertained, but you'll also be encouraged in your walk with Christ because that is the most important thing. That is my blessing to you, I hope. Thank you so much for joining us today, Crystal. It has been a real pleasure, and we look forward to hopefully having you back on sometime next year to talk about Counterfeit Hope. Thank you so much. Well, that was so much fun to get to speak with Crystal. She's a wonderful lady. She is an amazing author, and her book is now available. So if you didn't pre-order it, now is your time to go ahead and order it. You can have your copy right away in your hands and start reading this absolutely fabulous book, Counterfeit Love. If you would like to find out more information about Crystal, about Counterfeit Love, or if you'd like to get a really handy link in order to be able to order Counterfeit Love, then please go over to my website, which is liztolsma.com. And the show notes are over there. And you can find all the information right there at your fingertips, all in one place. Next week, we are going to welcome Amanda Cabot to the show. She has a brand new book out, which is called The Spark of Love, and it is the third book in the Mesquite Springs series. And so we've been eagerly looking forward to the final book, the wrap-up of this series, and very excited to have Amanda come back to the show. She was here last year when the second book released. Now she'll be back with us to talk about the final book in the series, The Spark of Love. So you don't want to miss out on our conversation with Amanda. We had a great conversation last year, and I know it's going to be another fabulous conversation this year. Thank you so much for supporting the show by listening to it and by spreading the word and by engaging with us on social media. I'm so grateful for all of you, for all of my listeners. I really do appreciate you. I hope that you have a terrific week and we'll see you next time. 